Ever since the dawn of time, man has been fascinated with alternate planes of existence. And now, our scientists speculate that a multiverse filled with infinite possibilities lies just beyond our grasp. Welcome to the Multiversal News. My name is Greg Lineweber, and I will be your host. And we will discuss what is fact, fiction, and theory. That which is not real in our universe might very well be real in another. Join us and let the reality of your world be real for us, too. Greg Lineweber with the Multiversal News. I'm, at this time, I have no information of any alternate universe right now because the government has secured a lockdown on all alternate universe communication. I am not allowed to tell you why this is happening. It's just happening. But we do have some guests here from this universe. Uh, Ratziel Bander is uh, going to be able to tell us something about Shintao. Um, welcome to the show, Ratziel. It's very good to see you. Thank you. Um, well, I guess my first question would be, um, how long have you been involved with Shintao? I guess I've been involved with Shintao for about, uh, I don't know, 13, 14 years, something like that. 14 years. When, um, what is Shintao? Can you give us sort of a brief description to, for the television audience? Yeah, Shintao is a regenerative and rejuvenative technique that the ancients believed would cure anything. And it was kept a secret for about 1,400 years. It was kept a secret technique in China. It was actually invented by an Indian uh, sage, but uh, in China, and it was kept in China until I was given it to release to the public about, uh, I don't know, about nine or ten years ago. Fascinating. Fascinating. And uh, what was your reason for, for studying Shintao? What brought you into it? I, uh, uh, when I was a young boy, I had uh, polio, had very severe sort of polio, but uh, went through a type of miraculous recovery. So uh, I lived a good deal of my life sort of quite normal. But about 30 years after you recover from polio, a syndrome can uh, come about, which is called post-polio syndrome. And with that syndrome, the entire organism of the body degenerates. Uh, you know, muscles atrophy, the, the nervous system is very badly compromised, uh, the immune system is compromised, many things happen. You really go into a steep decline. And that decline can leave you sort of totally incapacitated in a wheelchair, for example. And I had sort of declined over a period of years and I couldn't walk very well. In fact, I couldn't walk for more than two weeks out of four. I couldn't sort of brush my teeth anymore. That was too difficult. I couldn't hold a book. I was always having, you know, immune system issues. Uh, and there was no cure for it. 
And I was actually seeing, uh, I went to see uh, uh, someone I'd known for about 25 years who was a, a grand master, a Chinese grand master of uh, Tai Chi and Kung Fu. And he was, he'd been recognized as a, a master when he was four years old. So he'd been educated in the, uh, I, 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 they're called the, the five, uh, the five perfections or something like that, where from a very early age, these people are given intense education in these uh, arts like calligraphy, martial arts, etc., and herbs, healing. Uh, and I went to him actually because there was a suspected tumour in my lung. Uh, I knew I couldn't do anything about the post-polio syndrome, but I was uh, pretty badly compromised in a lot of ways. So I went to him to see if he could do something with herbs for the, to relieve this sort of lung problem I had. And, uh, you know, through our conversation, and because he knew me well, he sort of told me that he was waiting for me, basically waiting for me to come because he had a technique that was a secret that could cure anything that he'd been told he had to release and give to somebody so they could start taking it around the world and, uh, you know, releasing it from its status as a secret technique. Wow. Wow, that's that sounds like a, a very hard way to have to, to learn Chantal, but it's certainly motivating on your, for you, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, very motivating. It wasn't very difficult. I mean, I was sort of a death's door, and I sort of welcomed that. I was quite happy about that. You were talking about alternative uh, universes and stuff. Well, I'm quite happy to go into the next alternative universe, if that's what the case may be. There wasn't really a problem. Uh, the problem was I was becoming very burdensome to people. So I needed to try and sort of die a little more independently. But uh, so this technique he gave me, he sort of tricked me into it because I couldn't do anything at that stage. I'd, I'd been doing yoga since I was 14 and uh, I'd worked with herbs and homeopathy since I was about 18. And I'd actually taught many people very, you know, wide variety of different things, particularly to do with movement. And uh, I couldn't do anything at this stage. The most gentle yoga asana would send me into a backward spin. So he basically tricked me into learning the technique because he showed me something and he said, you know, basically, you know, you just sort of do this and this and, you know... It looked beautiful and it, it felt great for me to watch him do it. And I thought, oh yeah, I can move my hands around a little bit and do some breathing. And is, is Shintaro that kind of simple, the simple hand movements? Extraordinary sim extraordinarily simple and it's very easy. Uh, the most difficult part about it is to stop trying to make it hard. So I was sort of tricked into doing this and uh, it was a little more difficult for me than I had anticipated, but it started turning my health around in about a week. Wow, now and that is some fast recovery. everything started going uphill, back uphill from then, yeah. And so did you ever have any relapses or anything or was it just straight continuous uh, 
uh, upward movement. Well, you know, in the natural world, nothing happens in straight lines. Yeah. Everything is cyclic. So, of course, it was, you know, happened in waves. But uh, generally, underneath the the experiences I was having was a was a general and permanent improvement. So even now, because I'm getting a lot older as time goes on, and so I'm faced not only with the remnants of the post-polio syndrome, but I'm faced with the aging, natural aging that happens as well, (laughs) as everyone is. So uh, even though that is all happening, underneath there is a steady improvement. So my basic health, even though I'm 15 years older, is... Uh, much more robust and stable than it was, say, 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, that's, that's uh, quite a testament to how good your technique is. Yeah. Uh, it's What's been interesting is that I was, uh, you know, somehow drawn into teaching it. Yeah. Uh, basically because of the uh, genuine uh, interest that Americans have to explore new things and find out what is really going on and when I came to America uh, just for a holiday it was this interest that Americans had that forced me to start teaching it to other people and that really taught me about Chintao because it's one thing to see the improvement in yourself but it's something quite different to see what it does to other people yeah, I'm really interested about this too. When did you uh, start teaching? Did you okay? Now, according to your website, uh, you are the only accredited Chintao uh, uh, teacher here in, in the Western Hemisphere. Or the uh... yes, I have uh, I have taught and accredited one other teacher who teaches for me in Europe. Ah, uh, a woman called uh, Julia Kant. Uh, but yes, I'm the only person that has been given the technique to teach. And, you know, it hasn't developed to such a huge stage where we need to have a whole lot of teachers. I believe there are people who have come and got a workshop and started pretending they can teach it uh, in places in Europe, for example. But it's... You know, they're they're very minor. I don't think people pay a lot of attention to them. Yeah, well, you've got the whole North American and South American continent to take care of. That's kind of a heavy load. Uh, have you ever thought about maybe uh, uh, training a, a few other people to help help you out there, or to, to get give them credit accreditation, or to teach them well enough to where they could be uh, to have the accreditation? When and if people come with the uh, the dedication and the persistence to be able to get to that level, I'll be very, very happy about it. But, uh, you know, people use Shintao to improve their lives. There are not many people that, in the modern world, that have the time or the inclination to go into the greater depths of this technique or, you know, for instance, many other techniques. Shintao has... It's very, very simple... uh, Almost anyone can do it. I think my oldest client is 86, mm-hmm. and she practices every day. Yeah. Uh, but it has an enormous depth to it. It takes you way beyond the realm of health. It takes you into uh, areas where you can really begin to 
uh, alter your consciousness, modulate your consciousness to be able to perceive life and yourself from a totally different angle. People who are very involved in uh, growing in their spiritual awareness find Shintao an enormous help, an enormous benefit, a, a real door opener. Uh, but that's, you know, the same for every walk of life. I think what I've noticed with Shintao is that it improves and opens the door for whatever your potential is. Businessmen become better at business. Mm -hmm. Artists seem to become better at art. People into the spiritual realm become better at this at at their spirituality it really doesn't seem to matter what you do what your calling in life is Shintao seems to be able to release it and bring you closer to your genuine self yeah because it's working not only on the physical it's working on the emotional on the mental on on every aspect of yourself at once it's not like many techniques we have to do this technique for that, incorporate that aspect for the other aspect of yourself. And so we have a series of things that uh, we need to do to cover the whole, uh, the whole gamut of our being. Okay. Shintao is like uh, uh, everything is in a nutshell. We do these simple movements and somehow they train every aspect of us. Are they the same for every individual or do you tailor... No, it's basically the same for every individual, but it works like a tailor-made exercise. Yeah, okay. It's really fascinating. It, but, it, but everybody does the same thing. It's basically it, the same thing. Yeah. But, you know, we, we introduce it in a way that people can uh, absorb it in a way that is appropriate to them okay. and their lifestyle. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's, that's, it's, it is uh, somewhat... Um, a, a little bit different for each person, but mostly generally the same. Yeah, it, basically we're trying to do the same thing, but it works in a completely different yeah. way on every person. Do you do this in addition to meditation, or does it... Uh... Whatever you do, whether it's meditation or, as I say, whatever you're interested in in life, it will enhance it. Okay. If meditators find that it, it it's like a, a silver bullet goes straight to the mark, and suddenly their meditation is much deeper, much quicker to get into, uh, probably much more effective. Uh, but whatever it is that is lurking inside of you that wants to be uncovered, if you have the dedication, if you have the persistence, it will help that blossom. Wow, wow, that sounds really, really, really interesting, and I, I myself am interested in this. Um, I, I'm uh, thinking about taking the class, and by the way, if you, if anybody else is out there as interested as I am, um, tomorrow at the Metaphysical Library at 7 p.m., you can go and uh, get some, are you going to teach some of the technique tomorrow at the Metaphysical Library? No, tomorrow is just a talk about uh, metaphysical subjects okay all right but that's for five bucks we uh, can have a nice interesting talk now if you want further more information now there's a much more in-depth uh, workshop that's going to be conducted on the 18th of july uh from 10 a.m to 5 p.m and the price for this is 175 bucks for a uh, and, and what are you going to do here at the workshop well we have a beginner's workshop uh for people who are just starting with the technique 
and that workshop lasts a day, but it gives you enough to work on for months to come, yeah. if not years. I think if, if all you ever learn is what's in the beginner's workshop, if you practice it, it will probably change your life. We also have a DVD of the components of that workshop that you can use to back up your knowledge that you've gained from being at the workshop. Or if you can't be at the workshop at all and you're interested in Shintao, you can buy the DVD and learn basically from the DVD itself. How much is a DVD? I don't know. I think <laughs> it's, what is it? 40, it's about around $40. $40? Yeah. Well, that's that's uh, sort of be helpful, but it's nothing like having the workshop where where you're there to help. People yeah, the greatest training. thing is to have the combination because you get a direct transmission by being in the workshop, and you back it up with uh, your ability to watch the DVD on a daily basis to refresh your mind to practice with the DVD. It's just a it's a great uh, helpful tool. Hey, folks. Um, if you want to attend the workshop on the 18th, uh, you need to call Ailey up. And uh, Ailey's phone number, and I'll mark this down, is 206-910-9766. Did I get that right? Okay. All right. Okay, good. Yeah, uh, 206-910-9766. And I urge you to do this if you feel that you might need to uh, get something to, to help out with your own personal life. I know I could certainly use it myself. I mean, there are times when I'm, I've, and lately, um, well, I don't want to talk about myself too much, but lately I've been feeling kind of depressed. And uh, I've been trying to think of some way to, to deal with it. And uh, I've had all sorts of suggestions, such as screaming, <laughs> to get some of my anger out. But uh, I, t so, well, tell me, does, uh, does, do you, do you, is, is screaming part of uh, Shin Tao? <laughs> no. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I didn't think so. It sounded like a kind of a quiet uh, exercise. But, uh... Yeah, it's very quiet. It's meditative. It's something you do with music, if you like. Uh, you oh. get very carried away in it. So you can just get sort of lost in it, actually. But when you talk about depression, it's interesting. When I first came to America... Uh, I worked with a lot of psychologists yeah. who found a lot of value in the technique. And one of those psychologists paired me up with one of her clients who was suffering from clinical depression. Yeah. And they'd been working together for about a year with not great results. And this, uh, this client did not want to go on medication. Yeah. So they were looking for alternative ways to manage it. So I went and did a private session with her, and the psychologist was waiting on the phone uh, just in case something went wrong with her client. And, um, you know, within 45 minutes, this woman sort of snapped out of this depression that she'd been in. Now, I'm not saying that this is going to work absolutely for everybody. I'm just giving you an anecdotal experience of what yeah. happened to me. She snapped out of that depression she'd been feeling for an entire year uh, just working with the Shintan for 45 minutes she sort of she said at that time wow I can feel this I, I just feel this release and I can feel this is opening something and I feel better already now over the weeks that followed she kept practicing Shintao and 
it just kept getting better and better and better until I think it was about six weeks later she told her psychologist that she had not only felt that she'd recovered from depression but she felt she was better in herself than she'd ever been in her life so I mean I was amazed by that because I'd never seen I'd never worked with people on that level uh, so yeah it's pretty amazing yeah it sounds really good I'm, I'm interested in this um, the, the workshop is something that uh, you people ought to check out <laughs> give uh, give uh, Ailey a call um, I, I have more questions I'd like to talk more about the history of uh, Shintao uh, we did t did we talk about him already uh, was the Shintao developed uh, over time uh, by a group of people, or was it just one single individual that, that uh, whipped it out? Yes, it's, uh, it actually was, uh, came about spontaneously. Uh, the, one of the Indian patriarchs uh, is a guy called Bodhidharma. And Bodhidharma is the father of Zen Buddhism. Ah. So we don't really have much actual history, although the proponents of Zen believe they have a lot of history on this guy, Bodhidharma. But there are so many conflicting stories, so really all we have is myth. And all I can tell you is the, the myth and the story that was handed down in the lineage that was given to me to release to the world. There might be enough proof, uh, truth in that that... Uh uh, the audience might find useful. Please, by all means, let, let's Yeah, let's I think there's the, always the a lot of truth in myth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, you know, to try and contract the story, this guy, Bodhidharma, whose name was Dharmo in those days, yeah. sailed to China from India to teach Buddhism. And uh, he was a really outspoken proponent of Buddhism, and he got into a lot of trouble on the you know, when he was in China. And he eventually uh, ran away uh, from some very powerful uh, people there who he'd, he'd upset with his ideas about Buddhism. <laughs> and oh <boy. laughs> he went to a place called Shaolin, where there was a monastery back in those days. And it was uh, supposed to be quite a ramshackle monastery. It was pretty neglected. And he couldn't get into the monastery. They didn't like this guy. They wouldn't let him in. So he decided he was just going to go and find some cheap accommodation nearby. And there happened to be a convenient cave near the monastery. So he moved in and decided to meditate. The story goes that he meditated for nine years. And he sat in a constant meditation for nine years. When he emerged from that meditation, they say he was a Buddha. And that means he was a person with no conceptual limitations. He was an enlightened being. When he came out of his meditation as a Buddha, he had to do something to start moving his body again. Because you can imagine after nine years, his body was uh, pretty decrepit yeah. of sitting there and just meditating. So he started to move in his enlightened state. And these movements m sort of magically regenerated his body, brought him back to life. And he started moving, sitting down, then when he stood up he started to do different moves. These movements that he spontaneously did were uh, remembered 
by the monks he subsequently taught them to, and they were kept as a secret teaching. These spontaneous movements are what was called Shintao. Now, Shintao is Chinese. It means the way of the gods. It specifically means the way of the men in the mountains who practiced these techniques and became like gods. Yeah, but the shortened version was Shintao. <laughs> the shortened yeah. version of the name is Shintao. And Shintao itself was kept a secret uh, because it held a lot of power. It basically was used to regenerate and rejuvenate uh, monks in the Shaolin Monastery. Now, over time, those movements uh, were developed into different styles of martial arts, specifically Kung Fu, but they included styles of uh, Tai Chi and Qigong, specifically uh, healing styles of Qigong, if you know what those uh, styles are. I know what Tai Chi is. I, I have practiced Tai Chi, and in high school they had a class for it, and they taught us that, and I haven't retained all the actual accent. Whenever I stretch out, I use Tai Chi, some of the Tai Chi moves. I, I, haven't, I didn't remember all of them. But, but I, I kept a few of them for, you know, just because it, it, it helps to stretch that way. You know, there's, you don't normally stretch that way with American-type stretching exercises. Yeah, it helps with a lot of things. It's great stuff. But uh, what was the other one said? Tai Chi Gung. Chi Gung. Yeah, Chi Gung is a, another one of the very popular techniques uh, used in China and around the world now uh, to develop uh, physical and mental health. Uh, these are all, you know, subsidiary aspects to Kung Fu, which is uh, the main technique developed in the Shaolin Monastery. And Kung Fu was such an amazing technique that was developed from Shintao. Uh, it was almost a superhuman technique. Uh, they, the, the monks of the Shaolin Monastery that practiced Kung Fu were almost invincible. They were uh, feared by, by everybody, by all the authorities. In fact, uh, the, the royalty in China feared them and subsequently the revolutionaries in China feared them. So at a certain stage, these very uh, exalted practitioners were, well, sort of wiped out uh, by various armies. When the Cultural Revolution happened in China, the actual very serious Shaolin practitioners were basically eradicated from China. And they fled China, Which so... Which is too bad. That's terrible. Huh? Well, it's a terrible thing, but it, there's always a positive to the terrible things. It's something we've always got to remember. There's always some divine logic to these apparently terrible things that happen. So, from our perspective, Xin Tao escaped China with these masters who fled from the oppression of the revolutions in China. And therefore, through Hong Kong, subsequently through Australia, where these great exalted teachers fled to, we uh, got to, to embrace Shintao now in the modern world. That's how it was released to the public. Through Australia, it was given to me to give back to the world. And I, I really can't thank you enough. Uh, this has been very informative. 
Uh, we have another guest coming on in just a little bit. Um, I've really appreciated you being on here. I'm very much interested in, in taking your course at some time. Um, Thank you. Um, once again, I, I want to remind everybody that on, on tomorrow on the 13th, the Metaphysical Library at, uh, at 7 p.m. is, is uh, going to have Rotsiel to uh, speak there. And on the 18th, if you'll call Ailey, you can get yourself a, a position with the workshop that's going to be happening from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. What day is the 18th, by the way? Sunday. Sunday? So, see, on a good day like Sunday, this would be a good time for you to go and learn about Chantal. I really appreciate you being here on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thank that, you, all of you watching. Thank you so much. And blessings to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciated you having, having been here. Okay, uh, we're going to have uh, Diana, uh, who's going to uh, talk to us about the steampunk uh, artist revolution. And I'm going to have her on in just a few minutes. We're going to take a short break, um, and we'll be back in just a minute.
Are we on? Okay. <laughs> uh, hi, uh, we're back with the Multiversal News, and this is my guest, Diana Vick, who is uh, one of the chief proponents of uh, the art movement known as the Steampunk Movement. Perhaps you could explain what the Steampunk uh, Movement is. Sure. Uh, am I on? Okay. Um, steampunk is essentially Victorian science fiction. It started out as a literary genre, and um, my version of steampunk is all based in the literary genre. It's the art, fashion, music, um, culture, and maybe lifestyle that's all sprung from steampunk, the literary genre. And that sort of began, you, you could say it began with H.G. Wells and Jules Verne, who are essentially the fathers of science fiction in some ways as well. Yeah. So. Science fiction from the Victorian point of view. Um, and then in the 80s, there was a resurgence. So there was a, there was a time period where there were modern science fiction writers writing as if they were Victorian, you know, uh, looking towards the future. So it's sort of us re-envisioning Victorian's uh, vision of the future, if that makes any sense. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Okay. I, I like it, but, but the audience may be a little bit confused. Well, let me ask you a question. But when you say by Victorian... Uh, um, um, science fiction. Does this mean is it, it espouses Victorian uh, uh, ideas of chastity and things like this? Uh, to a point. Um, one of the <laughs> one of the main things when you say steampunk, you're kind of implying that it's not um, kind of traditional, exactly the way the Victorians saw it. Um, so, so, sort of the punk is the anachronistic portions of it. Ah. But it is, um, it, it has to be based in science fiction or fantasy, so it, it can't be just recreating Victorian society. Um, it can be Victorian society after an apocalypse has happened, or uh, Victorian society as the, you know, the dreamers and the inventors saw it. Yeah, uh, interesting, interesting. Um, how did the, the uh, uh, there's a, a, a an organization, a steampunk organization here in, in Seattle? How did it get started here in Seattle? When did uh, well, um, you're probably referring to the Seattle Steam Rats? And, uh, yeah, and they're not really an organization. They're a very <laughs> loosely uh, joined group of individuals. Basically, yeah. um, at the Wayward Coffee Shop on Greenwood, every Monday, uh, a bunch of people meet up. Usually, um, somewhere between twenty to forty people show up and talk about anything steampunk or anything not steampunk for a couple of hours. I tried to find that one day. My sister gave me just some loose directions on how to get there, and I never could. I checked every little bar on oh, 85th it's, and Greenwood. It's easy. Just just off of 85th down Greenwood, um, It's if you're heading north, it's on the right-hand side. You know, It says Wayward on it. It's wayward. Easy to find. Yep, the Wayward. Okay, well, I probably walked by there, and I didn't see anybody with top hats on. So I, oh, most of us don't dress like this all the time. <laughs> no, it's... I mean, especially okay. in this weather, it's a little hot. Yeah. So, um, that is kind of one of the, the problems. It's it's a very difficult... Uh, By the way, I love those glasses. Oh, those thank are, you. My goggles. Yeah. Um, I made these. Oh, the really? Yeah. Do you uh, uh, make a fashion? Right. For... In in, uh, in the vernacular, we call it modding or modifying. Yeah. So I, I modded these goggles. Wow. Do, do you do metal work then? No, no. These are all plastic. It is? Yeah. When I do, wow. I do talks called Modding for Wimps. Oh. Because a lot of the men will make you know things out of brass and these huge gadgets and they're very heavy and they're very macho and yeah. I make everything out of plastic and I and I spray paint and I you know I reassemble things in different ways so it's a much lighter form of the the modding than yeah. the men. 
but could still look impressive. Oh, oh, certainly, certainly. I have, I have a, a huge thing called Big Baby, which is uh, an etheric discombobulator. <laughs> and it's basically just a bunch of, uh, of uh, plastic squirt guns and things that I put together in hoses and has a big power pack, although FedEx just lost that for me. Um, yeah. It, and it, it's, it doesn't do anything, but it, it looks very impressive. It's this huge kind of barrel light riveted thing. Do you have any pictures of uh, these sort of um, things? If you go online to Flickr, um, my, my my name on there is Art Vixen, A-R-T-V-I-X-N, with no E. Everyone pay attention now. So, Art Vixen right. on Flickr. <laughs> go to Flickr. You can go look at all of my, my guns and my costumes, my props and things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, could they generally find this by going through, uh, by doing a Google search for... You could, you could do a Google search for um, steampunk weaponry, probably. Also, I have a blog, uh, dianavic.com. Ah. And if you go to the blog, um, down the left-hand side, there are links to... Um, my all the talks that I've done, I do different articles, and all the way I have a, um, a little lessons on how to mod things, yeah, things like that. So you can find my Flickr site on there as well. Well, I've had people tell me that you are the voice of the uh, the uh, steampunk uh, uh, movement here in Seattle. Um, probably in Seattle, yeah. We, my husband yeah. and I, uh, created SteamCon. The, the big science fiction convention yes. for when is, steampunk. When is that coming up, by the way? It'll be November 19th through 21st this year. Be sure and be there. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be at the um, the SeaTac Marriott and the next-door neighbor Hilton. Would you please come back on the show to, before that happens? So oh, definitely. Can, I can I can probably bring some other people, too. Yeah, and it'd be nice if you could bring some uh, some uh, visual props. stuff. Yeah, props and, sure. and maybe some... Uh, but we'll talk about that after the show. <laughs> sure. sure. <laughs> okay, well, now here's a very important question that I, I wanted to ask you. Uh, do you do any science fiction writing yourself, or is it just... Actually, I, I haven't. Well, actually, I'm an artist, generally. Uh -huh. I started out as an illustrator. Um, I've done magic cards, and I've done um, other collectible card games, Legend of the Five Rings, oh, you know, the little yeah. card games you used to get. I used to, to play get. magic, yeah. Yeah, um, I did two whole magic cards. But I did 150 cards total for all the other games. Um, and, you know, it's been 10, 15 years now since then. Oh, yeah. But I do, um, I do a lot of illustrating, and I do some steampunk work. I have a site on Zazzle called Steamporium, where I do um, kind of whimsical steampunk designs. Um, there's a T-shirt that's called Baby Got Bustle. And okay. there's one uh, with a uh, teapot that says Steam Powered. So yeah. Stuff to go look at. And um, actually, I do have some stories I want to write. I just don't have a whole lot of time. I promote SteamCon almost 24-7, and I, and I promote other things like Abney Park, the, uh -huh. the local uh, steampunk band from yeah. Tacoma. Well, let's say, for instance, I wrote a science fiction script for a movie. Uh -huh. And actually, I did. Um, um, would you be willing to make props for such a movie if I was uh, able to uh, I don't know if... I don't you know reasonably. if my skills are, are up to par, but I, I would definitely know some people. I would put you in contact. You know, props like uh, big, huge, uh, oversized uh, space guns and that sort of stuff. Or... Yeah, I, I do stuff personally for me. I enjoy it, but I don't know oh. if I would do it for for uh, if they would stand up to the pressure of, of having to be on a set oh, all okay. the time. But I do have friends that do a lot of that sort of thing. Well, then that's good enough for me. Okay. Uh, I haven't really decided to. <laughs> I, I wrote this movie about uh, uh, these two different planets. One of them is a, a female-dominated world that gets approached by a male-dominated world, which is us. And our culture is kind of a throwback to the uh, 1960s of Star Trek, or actually before that, to the 1940s. 
So uh, we're running around with ships called the Excalibur and the, the Dominant and the right. Illustrious. Right. And uh, the women are all running around in miniskirts and that sort of thing. And uh, we're sort of like a... But anyway, enough about me and, <laughs> and what I'm doing. But I, I sort of wrote this spontaneously earlier this year. Uh, I just felt inspired and I, I went after it. Uh, the steampunk movement has caught my eyes somewhat uh, because of this. I have some other people who are interested in it. Um, does steampunk have to have uh, air balloons in it? No, no. Um, I I wrote a thing called the Steampunk Litmus Test, which is on my blog. Oh, okay. Um, because what page? People, uh, um, if you just look it up, there. I think yeah, the list got, on the right has the lists of like the most recent articles, and uh -huh. if you go look up Litmus Test, you'll find it. I think even if you just like Google searched Litmus Test steampunk. You'd probably find it. Yeah. But I wrote it for myself because I felt like if I looked at something and I said, you know, people call that steampunk, but to me it's not. I needed to have some parameters that explained it. Uh -huh. So this is this is my little quickie how to how to tell if something's steampunk and and generally a story. So yeah. take a book or a movie and say, okay, first of all, is it science fiction? Well, is yeah. it science fiction or loosely fantasy? Yeah. More science fiction edge than fantasy. Right. So after that, then you have to say, what era is it? Is it, is it Victorian, Edwardian? Is it in that particular time period? Yeah. Or is it alternate universe? If it's not, you're going to have to do a lot more work to explain why we're still in the steam era. Yeah. Because it's a particular um, technological age, really. Yeah. Or maybe they did had a little short regression, you know. They, they yeah, if, for right, if, um, the dark ages. Well, um, Unhallowed Metropolis is a role, 